1: On today's show, I have Dr. Paramo Kopadokar, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautics Research Institute. We'll be talking about urban air mobility and unmanned aerial vehicles, otherwise known as drones, so stay tuned. On this week's tech news, I'm going to still talk about the coronavirus or COVID-19 and how it's relating to the tech industry. If you're working from home, as most of us are doing, uh, you'll probably notice that your internet usage is slowing down, and that's because there's been a significant spike in internet traffic, sometimes upwards of 40%, and that's because of everyone working remotely and their kids being home and remote learning. Also related to coronavirus, IBM... Amazon, Microsoft, and Google are all dedicating 16 supercomputers to try and find solutions on how to cure the virus, how to map its trajectory, and how to extrapolate where they think it's headed. This is all in an effort. Um, it's called the COVID-19 High Performance Computing Consortium, all in an effort to combat this disease. In research news, Microsoft Edge was considered the least secure browser of six browsers. Uh, they compared it to Chrome and Firefox and even Brave. Uh, Brave is a browser that supposedly is completely uh, safe in that it doesn't track you. Also related to that is both Google and Microsoft have announced that they're not going to do any updates to their browsers, and that's because, of simply put, they don't have enough resources to work on that, given the uncertainty of the coronavirus. Later in this show, I'll be talking about how the coronavirus is changing the way we work, live, and play, and how it really does change everything. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Ku. Once again, I'm joined with a very special guest, Paramol Kopodakar, otherwise known as P.K., who is the director of NASA Aeronautics Research Institute, or N-A-R-I. He is also the co-editor-in-chief of the Journal of Aerospace Operations, and adjunct faculty at Colorado State University, and a consultant. Welcome, P.K. Thank you. So PK, I wanted to spend a little bit of time um, in your own words about your background and what you're doing at NASA.
2: Great. Now, thank you very much for your interest, Keith. And my background is uh, industrial engineering. I focus on large-scale complex problems, particularly issues related to scalability and efficiency of operations. Uh, I I get excited about uh, air traffic management. I get excited about supply chain management and operations management type of issues that are critical to the business processes and their efficiencies as well as scalability of operations to support basically uh, either the consumers or the passengers in the case of aerospace operations
1: thank you and and i know that for many uh... unmanned aerial vehicles and aerial systems are new but in the aerospace world you are in the in, in industry you're kind of a rock star and i'll talk about um many people know my role as uh, an advisor and uh, Chief Operating Officer to AeroNite, a company that's in the drone as a data management services space, and uh, y- you were very w- highly regarded. So, PK, I wanted Thank to talk you. about you specifically in the UTM, the Unmanned Traffic Management space, and uh, what are your
2: thoughts on the current state of that? That's a great question, and uh, Keith, uh, the unmanned aircraft system traffic management evolved about six years ago when we realized that we need some different way of organizing the drone and its traffic, particularly the small drones, 55 pound and below, who will operate under 400 feet. The idea was to enable large-scale drone operations at these low altitudes without burdening the current air traffic control system. So we figured out a way to enable these operations by cooperative nature, by taking advantage of digitization that's possible now and enabling these operations where all operators can interact with each other through digital means by sharing the intent information with each other for the operators that are in the vicinity so we can stay away from each other. So if you look at the current air traffic control system and the way it operates, only air traffic controller has the complete awareness of what's in the airspace because they are watching the radar display. In the (laughs) UTM, we changed that paradigm and made sure that information about operations can be exchanged by digital means to everybody that's connected into the UTM platform or UTM system. So we have FAAs flight information management system where they can schedule any restrictions in the airspace or give directives about certain airspace that's open or closed. Then we have operators that connect into that and they interact with each other. So it sort of creates a share and care, more federated environment where you know what not to do and you can plan your trajectories or areas or operations accordingly, which is a t- complete paradigm sh- change from what happens in today's world in the air traffic control, where because air traffic controller is the only entity that has all the information, every change related to the aircraft, speed change or heading change or altitude change has to be approved or cleared by air traffic controller. By now distributing that information digitally through a prescribed application protocol interfaces, we now have created a cooperative environment and operators can exchange information and stay away from each other. They have awareness of who is in the airspace. So we created basically different paradigm. We also use third-party services for weather and trajectory planning and communication and navigation using the service-oriented architecture. So essentially, we have a new paradigm that allows us to digitally interact with each other. We reduce the bottleneck of one entity making all the decisions. So it allows us to scale these operations.
1: Yeah, and that that's really good background information, PK. And I I know that I recently had the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo, so here in Silicon Valley, um, SFO is in their jurisdiction, and I know that they talk a lot about how does the impact of, and he's a big um, UAV fan, how does the impact of UAVs and UASs in the normal flight traffic uh, pattern is, is a big concern. So I'm glad that uh, you and the team at NASA with the FAA are figuring it out. Uh, i just take a pause and say that you're listening to the Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. I have a very special guest, uh, Paramount Kopper Doctor or PK, the director of NASA Aeronautic Research Institute. Any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo.
1: Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Paramal Karpadakar, who is the director of NASA Aeronautic Research Institute. Hey PK, thanks for being back on the show. Um, I have a question for you, which is why aren't we seeing faster implementation of UTM in the
2: market? Yeah. Great question, Keith. Uh, so you, there are several angles, and, and the way you can answer that question. On one hand, you could say that it is not happening faster. On the other hand, you could say that it is happening as fast as it can while maintaining the safety of operations. I like to say that we are innovating rapidly in the aviation, creating new opportunities for new entrants to operate in the airspace. At the same time, we are doing that while assuring the safety. And that it's is critical, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is uh, where a lot of people want their, you know, whatever the context, they want their packages delivered by drones. Certainly, with what's happening now in um, the pandemic around COVID people are wondering whether or not there are solutions for drones, which we can talk about a little bit later in the show. But I think that's why it's so important that people realize that what they think is happening in slow motion is actually happening quite fast. And that's why I wanted to ask you a follow-up question. So thank you.
0: Um,
1: How is NASA encouraging faster innovation in these areas, whether it be solutions... Policies or procedures?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a g- another great question. So, the what we have learned over the past six years through the UTM experience is that this is truly collaborative innovations. NASA has some good ideas, but not all good ideas come from NASA. So, we have enabled work group and industry and FAA and DOD and DHS. Academia NFA test site collaboration. Through that collaboration many, many good ideas have evolved and bubbled up to improve the construct of UTM and because of that we are where we are in the sense that we now have a federated system, we have a marketplace of unmanned aircraft system service suppliers which did not exist before. The concept is accepted worldwide. International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, is harmonizing this concept and many, many countries are adopting it. So we feel that this collaboration of industry, academia, test sites, FAA, DOD, DHS, and many other entities is the way that the innovation has occurred. So it's truly a collaborative innovation.
1: That's exciting. And you know, I'm glad that you and the team are at the forefront of that. So you recently had, and I think you that I was an attendee, you recently had a really significant event on supply chain for EVTOL, which is electronic vehicle takeoff, vertical takeoff and lift, Um, why did you hold that? What was the reason that you felt that that was an important event to hold for the industry?
2: Yeah, personally, as I mentioned in the early stages of our chat, that I'm very passionate about scalability of these operations and aviation at large. NASA is very passionate about making sure that the barriers for growth, global growth, are addressed properly and one of the fundamental barriers is manufacturing and supply chain for the new entrants. If you look at the current aviation markets, the Boeings and 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 Airbus, they produce fifty to sixty aircraft per month. And if you look at the promise of electric vertical takeoff and landing and the number of operations that people are postulating, we need a different rate structure for production. And in order to get to that production rate, we need a strong, resilient supply chain that's available in the United States or very close by. And you just experience it tremendous disruption to supply chain because of COVID. And that's sort of the testament of the resiliency of supply chain and its importance, how critical that is to the electric vertical takeoff landing market. The other side of that, so in the design stage, in the high high volume manufacturing stage, which is what people would like to go for these, Um, electric vertical takeoff and landing for advanced air mobility operations, it's critical to have a strong supply chain of all parts and all types of suppliers that are production certificated for aviation grade. On the other side, once you start these operations, you can imagine that these operations will occur at regional levels. Just like your car who requires preventive maintenance or requires some maintenance to replace certain parts, you would need that kind of a maintenance at the regional level. Maintenance repair and overall network and the entire ecosystem of parts, access to those parts in, in the places where these operations are occurring and the access to maintenance technicians is critical. So that's all part of the supply chain network. So there are tremendous business opportunities related to building a very strong, resilient supply chain network to support these operations. And those MROs are very much a local need.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think those are excellent points. Um, That was a big aha attending your conference uh, when you had one of the senior representatives in procurement for the government uh, giving basically a call to action. I think uh, something like there's potentially 5,000 startups working on some solution for supply chain in this industry, and that especially – and this was before um, COVID really took off. This was probably, what, a month and a half ago – that he he was really making the call to action that there 's huge opportunities, as you just mentioned um, to support this this growing area, also, I wanted to say really quickly, I loved your car example. you know a lot of us get into our cars and we expect it to run, and uh, without much uh, breakdowns, what have you when we 're talking about aviation aeronautics aerospace that 's even more important, and so people shouldn 't really be Uh, thinking about how slow the industry is, they should really be thinking about how deliberate the industry is in in producing um, safe and secure solutions. Great point. So what
2: advice do you have
1: for those companies who want to get into this market, like EVTOL? Well,
2: so there are three different types of opportunities. One is the aircraft, creating... Urban-capable aircraft, or aircraft that will fly into remote locations, all types of different interesting locations. So that's one opportunity. The second is the providing airspace support through um, your integrated solutions that basically give them trajectory planning, tracking of the vehicles, and such. Uh, and communicating with them. And the third one is infrastructure and community support where you would be um, looking to build vertiports and supporting the vertiport infrastructure, making sure that there is a safe landings and takeoffs. So there are a number of opportunities that are emerging. And what we would uh, say to uh, to uh, companies who want to get into eVTOL is join NASA's working groups, that are very open, very inclusive. We are building book of requirements and guidelines so that we are clear about what requirements need to be met to in urban airspace as well as rural airspace and and other airspaces which are low risk airspaces. Um, So join, join our working groups related to aircraft, airspace, infrastructure and communities we're also building modeling and simulation tool for communities to do their own assessment to understand where they can safely put Pad, because it has zoning restrictions and fire code issues and integration with surface traffic and noise considerations and many, many other facets.
1: Hey, PK, thank you. Um, we're out of time on this segment, so we'll come back in the next segment and tell people how to get involved in those working groups. You're sure. listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Kuhs, special guest, Par- Dr. Paramal Kopadakar, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautics Research Institute. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828 7846. That's 888 828 SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith
1: Ku. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Ku. Once again, on today's show, my special guest is Dr. Paramo Koperdocker, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautics Research Institute. And we're talking about urban air mobility and unmanned autonomous vehicles, otherwise known as drones. So for this week's Cyber Tip, it's such an important topic, I'm going to continue talking about it, which is the significant increase in hacking attempts due to COVID-19 the coronavirus. I already talked about how phishing, which is messages in email, are already being sent out. I've gotten several this week saying that they have the latest news, that here's where you go to get the cure, um, and it's happening not just to personal email addresses, but it's taking advantage of remote workers as well. So it might look like an email from your company, from a vendor, from a bank. It might be in regards to a purchase order. What I'm really asking you to do is make sure Everything you get via email or text or even snail mail or phone calls are legitimate. And this happens everywhere. It even happens in texting. And one other thing to highlight is it doesn't matter whether you are working for a corporation, whether you're working uh, for yourself, or even if you're working for the government, there's so much chaos right now with people working remotely remotely and I get spoiled because I think about the tech industry. We've been doing this for quite a while. There's many people working remotely for the first time. Also, one other thing to think about is your home by nature is not going to be as secure as your work environment. So even though you have a home Wi-Fi, you might not be using a VPN, a virtual private network. You might not have the same type of firewall, and you might not have the same things that your company provides in terms of corporate Threat detection, these are things that companies spend millions and millions of dollars a year, banks hundreds of millions of dollars to keep safe. And so the cyber tip, once again, is to be vigilant during this time of the pandemic. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Dr. Paramel Kopadarka, who is the director of NASA's Aeronautic Research Institute. Welcome back, PK. Thank you. So, earlier in the show, we talked about PK's background, how he is kind of the rock star in this um, new field in unmanned vehicles, uh, unmanned aerial systems, UTM. So, PK, right on the last show, we were talking about how really NASA's spurring innovation has created some working groups. How do people find out and become a part of those working groups?
2: That's a great question. So one uh, option for them all to go to the NASA Aeronautics Research Institute website. So you go to HTTPS, Nari, N-A-R-I dot dot NASA dot go and then you can do slash AAM, which is Advanced Air mobili- Mobility, Uh, You will find that. You can also just Google search on the NASA work groups uh, on advanced air mobility. You will find the information. We are in the process of kicking off virtual meeting. We were going to have a meeting a few weeks ago in Washington in person, but we decided to skip that because of the COVID-19 issues, and now we are going to kick it off uh, soon, actually next week uh so people okay, well, will have an opportunity in, in my horizon.
1: role with AeroNet. i'll definitely be in that meeting so i'm glad it's virtual oh, yes, that's good absolutely so absolutely. um thank you pk i wanted to talk about you as a thought leader what are some of the use cases and innovations that you see on the horizon uh say next 12 to 18 months
2: yeah so we we see something use cases so if you look at the high altitude of course the Balloons and hails, which is high-altitude, long-endurance, unmanned aircraft systems, which would be supporting communication infrastructure and such at the high altitude, which is 60,000 feet and up. Then if you look at the drones, the drones certainly, we have talked many uh, use cases for for agriculture as well as deliveries, as well as traffic monitoring, as well as supporting search and rescue operations. In fact, we will be doing a student intern project in the summer to create a American drone for search and rescue operations. Uh So that's a drone related. Then for electric vertical takeoff and landing, it's supporting hospitals and patients or people are impacted by some medical need in the rural areas or remote areas and connecting them with the hospitals, bringing them to the hospitals faster, as well as air taxis and dedicated routes uh, on on urban airspace. So there are lots of interesting use cases that emerging. People come up with use cases that we don't even, we didn't even think before. Some of them have started planting trees with drones by spreading seeds and so there are some interesting and creative uh, applications of these technologies and that's what fascinates me the most that we we haven't even scratched the surface there will be so many interesting applications will come about as we start these operations
1: yeah, I mean, I think you you definitely hit the nail on the head. I think there's a lot of exciting use cases coming down. Um, the the thought of air taxis being, at least in pilot mode, operational in the next 18 months is, is, is fairly exciting if that can really happen. Um, and then, you know, thinking about, I'm hearing stories all around the world how different countries are using even drones to combat covid so i've heard of uh some drones monitoring individuals to make sure that once they know of the outbreak they can use a drone to detect further um people movement uh i've seen other jurisdictions using drones to do disinfectant spraying so are there any things you've heard of that i haven't thought of yet
2: no i think you have heard the right ones that i have heard which is the Um, providing supplies to the patients that are quarantined and getting samples from patients back to the processing places and then disinfections and monitoring uh, basically localities and and such. So these are definitely use cases that I have heard about and people have been uh, promoting them particularly the low risk and remote areas where it's hard to go or it takes time and um, it put a lot more effort for individual person to go and check it out. So I think drones could be really valuable in those kind of places. But again, it well, needs well, to be done in the context of overall airspace safety. So we cannot increase uh, risk on the safety of airspace operations while we are solving a, another problem. So it needs to be all factors in terms of accommodating these drones while maintaining the overall safety of other operations is critical. Right.
1: I could agree with you more. Um, one of the fun uses of drones I, I heard about during the uh, ship quarantine in Japan was a couple brought... Uh, wine delivery to their stateroom, their balcony, because um, they were just like, what are we going to do with our time on the ship? So they found a drone operator in Japan that would deliver them wine. What's next for NASA in um, promoting both drones and EVTOL? I, what, what's on your kind of agenda, so to speak?
2: Oh, absolutely. We have 3 prong approach here. One is we call national campaign. The national campaign will be basically um, we used to call grand challenge, but we will be testing the ecosystem wide readiness of aircraft, airspace and infrastructure related requirements to so test out and get sort of ecosystem wide scorecard to see how how well mature we are to enable low-density traffic and low-complexity, then medium-density, medium-complexity, and high-density, high-complexity. So we have this maturity scale from one to six that we would like to test out against through the series of national campaign tests. So that's number one. Number two is the research using simulations and analysis to study how can we scale these operations, what are different trade-offs. You can imagine, for example, on the vertipad, you can put some nice sensors and automation, or you can put that automation in the aircraft, or you can do a combination of the two to enable Operations under low visibility conditions. What's the best way to to do that? So we will be doing a lot of analysis. We'll be doing simulation studies to show how we can scale these operations for air, ground, cloud integrated technologies. And the third prong is this work groups where we'll be working collaboratively and promoting collaborative innovation through industry, academia, and and other government organizations like FAA, DOD, DHS, to populate this book of requirements and guidelines as to understand how this ecosystem will evolve, what are the requirements if you want to build an ecosystem, and how do you go about doing that. So that book of requirements and guidance we call B-O-R-G, will be a open source document at least the envision to be open source document so communities can also get access to that and understand the readiness of different and maturity of different peace parts
1: yeah um pK that's actually uh really great to hear that all those agencies want to band together, make this open source so that you can scale faster with uh, the community involvement. I think that's a a really wise move. Out of all those agencies, would you say that um, one in particular is the the quarterback? Or do you think that, uh, how is that relationship between DOD, FAA,
2: NASA, who uh, pretty much takes lead? I think we we enjoy a really great relationship with all the government agencies. FAA, of course, is a primary responsible party for regulatory aspects. Um, DOD uh, has national security interests, and DHS has security aspects and and how to promote these operations in a secure manner. So they have, and DOD also has their own use cases, so We are trying to make sure that we understand everybody's equities in this process. Uh, Some of them are research, some of them are operations, some of them are safety, security, regulatory places. We bring all that together, and like I say, collaborative innovation is really the key here.
1: Well, PK, um, we're out of time, but I thank you very much for being on the show today.
2: Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Keith.
1: Yeah, and your deep insight, I'd love to have you come back on as a regular guest, because I think this is definitely a uh, an industry that's growing and people should get more awareness of. So thanks again.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. We'll definitely do that. So once again, uh, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith
1: Koo, joined with PK, Dr. Paramel Korpadarkar, who is the director of NASA Aeronautics Research Institute. Any questions or comments about today's show, email up is. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, and we'll see you next week.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo.
1: Insiders, welcome back to the show, Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and this is my normal segment called The Pivot, where we talk about change, and what better time to talk about change than with COVID-19, the coronavirus. On last week's show, I had Dr. John Madison, the former Chief Health Information Officer at Kaiser Permanente. John is a world-renowned doctor, administrator, really into technology, and I Talk to him about how things are going to change, good and bad. Um, you can download that show from our website, fan.biz And why I'm going into a lengthier intro is that I got a lot of comments about how this really does change the way we think about the world, the way we think about the United States. Uh, I am a, definitely a freedom-loving American, and I definitely know that things like sheltering in place and or lockdowns um, really do push the limits of infringing on our constitutional rights. And so I'm not here to say yay or nay on the politics behind it, but I will tell you that the medical community does consider COVID-19 a real health threat. Uh, over the weekend, so after we aired the show, uh, MIT Technology Review actually had an article called We're Not Going Back to Normal. They actually talked at length about how based on extrapolation and, again, what Dr. Madison and I talked about last week, that without constraints, the pandemic will run its course and there'll be many people affected. And so, once again, we don't want to talk about the politics behind it, but we do want to talk about how, we're, as an article stated, we're not going back to normal. So, some of the things to think about is it's already changing the way we work, live, and play. I know personally it's affected the way that my children go to school. They're now doing distance learning. Uh, We have Zoom or video conferencing meetings with the teachers. I know that in terms of how I produce my radio show, I'm not going to the studio right now. I'm actually recording this over the phone, which is new for me because I don't do that very often as well. And there's going to be new things that emerge. So in the short term, there's a lot of economic chaos. Uh, We know that many small businesses are being affected and being shut down, which is just a very unfortunate thing, especially restaurants in our local community. And instead, people are now rushing. So if you think about where really high-end restaurants, where the service is the experience, I'm now seeing bundles of high-end food that is offered to be delivered or you can pick up. But think about that. A high-end restaurant, you're normally going for that special experience, and they're not able to provide that right now that's actually an opportunity for or leveling the playing field for for restaurants that don't serve that market. Uh, As the high-end restaurants have to adapt, the more affordable tiered restaurants are going to pick up more business. And so these are the things that I think that we as a community have to think about ahead of time in this period of definite chaos and uncertainty. Um, In terms of technology, we know that different countries – are adopting different techniques to monitor the virus. Again, I don't want to get into the politics behind that, but we know that in Israel, they are geolocating people via their mobile phones. And in some cases, they're using drones to monitor uh, people suspected of being infected to make sure their movements. That seems pretty totalitarian for um, us in the United States. We know that China had hundreds of millions of people on lockdown in the residences, and they too were being tracked by drones. The drones were basically telling them to stay inside or to cover their mouth. Um, What do we as a society think we're going to be doing? We know that technology companies like Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, etc., are coming together. They're building a supercomputer to track all these cases and to come up with solutions. We've talked about the FDA who has approved rapid acceleration of testing because the United States can handle the volume of testing required for this pandemic. Back to the thought about social distancing, uh, we here in Silicon Valley were initially told that it was going to be a three-week shelter-in-place scheduled to end on April 7th. Um, I am optimistic that will happen, but I don't really think that is compared to how other countries have handled their outbreaks. China, officially or unofficially, there's been reports that people have been in their residences for 70 days. Um, Italy, I believe, is on an eight-week lockdown. And I think it's still too early to tell how long we will be sheltering in place here in Silicon Valley and other parts of the United States. In the study done by Imperial College London, they actually stated that they think one proposed method of managing the pandemic for the next 12 to 18 months is to monitor hotspots and to decrease sheltering in place when the number of patients in an ICU goes down. But on the other hand, to rapidly go back into sheltering in place when the number of patients in ICU goes up. So think of this more instead of Uh, The term flattening the curve, as we discussed with Dr. Madison, uh, that's the idea that uh, the the hospital systems all around the world would be overwhelmed with the amount of patients coming in to be treated for COVID-19. So the goal is um, instead of a cure, which would take at least 12 to 18 months to develop a vaccine, um, you try to flatten the curve by reducing this, think about a mountain and the peak of a mountain, instead of trying to tackle that mountain, you're trying to actually disassemble that mountain into smaller rolling hills. That gives the chance for the medical community, who are treating this like a war, to step up, don gear, get a break from in between outbreaks, get rested, and then come back onto the front lines. And so... Here at Silicon Valley Insider, we don't have all the answers, but we're going to stay on top of this topic for you. And if you have any questions or comments about what we talked about on today's show or last week's show or anything else related to technology and COVID-19, feel free to reach out to us by emailing us at info at svn.biz, find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, or give us a ring. And from all of us, again, we hope that you and your families and friends are safe, and we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.